Amen. So today, the scripture that Pastor Rosalie read for us started out in a pretty powerful way, I think. Something that challenges us and hits us hard. And as we're going through the book of James over these next several weeks, I remind you that I'll also be doing podcasts to dig deeper into James and that we're looking at it from the message version of the Bible, and so it'll read a little different than yours, but I encourage you, if you have your own Bibles, to read along and see the comparison and the contrast of what's being said. I feel like uh, the message really gets it right on in this particular passage today, and so I want to look at what James is saying to us, and he begins by saying, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originating faith. Don't let public opinion affect how you live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that hits hard because it's hard to do that, isn't it? In fact, we live in a world, right? We live in a world where everything is based upon public opinion. Everything is based on approval ratings, right? Everybody wants to be rated and surveyed, right? I take my car in to get an oil change, and I get five emails asking me to fill out a survey. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I just had my car oil changed. That's all I wanted, right? Every time I'm on the phone with a company, they ask me, would you be willing to stay on the line and fill out a short survey about our customer service? Everybody's doing it everywhere. Even when I go to the store and I just want to buy something, I get a receipt, and they got to circle it and mark it and say, go to the internet and fill out the survey so you can get a free donut or a free Big Mac. Who knows what I'm talking about? Anybody else living in this world today, right? And everything's about approval ratings and companies are basing everything upon it now. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm serious. Talk to people. It has become the, not the number one, the only source of rating employees and job performance. And everything is being based upon your approval ratings and how you do. And everybody's trying to get that five stars, right? Everybody's trying to get that five star rating because that's what we want. But I feel like it's even infiltrated into our personal life for some of us, right? Now, I know not everyone is on social media in this room. Hallelujah. Those of you who aren't on social media, praise the Lord. Keep going strong. (laughs) Set an example for us to follow. But how many of us are on social media, right? All right, you can raise your hand if you're on social media, right? How many of you, when you post something on social media, oh, we're going to get real here for a moment, right? How quickly do you go back and see how many likes you? How many hearts you have, how many thumbs up, how many emojis, how many comments, how many views, right? And how many of you check, not just once, but you check back a few times, right? Amen. How many of you check before we began this morning? You sat down. How many of you are checking right now? Hallelujah. I'm calling out this morning. We are checking right now. Everything, right, is based on approval ratings. And that really gets into us. And then we start to live our life based on the public opinion of others. So that what we say... What we do, how we look, is based on the public opinion of others. And I think it's safe to say that for many of us, we spend our lives caring too much about what other people think. Allowing that to affect our self-worth. Now certainly those things can be used to help us improve, right? For if we need improvement, we need to know how we're doing. But that's about performance. That's not my identity. And my performance should always be improving. I should always seek to do the best that I can or whatever God has called me to do, right? But who I am as a person isn't affected by that. And in fact, when it comes to living out the Christian faith, to being a real Christian, which, are what, which is what I think James is all about, real Christianity, we need to understand that that is not going to serve us well. It's going to lead us to do things 
that we shouldn't do. It's going to lead us into sin. It's going to pull us away from God. And then he gives this great example. He said, suppose someone comes into your church wearing an expensive, fancy suit. And if that happened here at ACC, we would all be thinking the same thing, right? You, you stumbled into the wrong church. <laughs> you must have been expecting some other place where they have fancy suits. But if someone comes in looking really nice, right? And we treat them special and we say, come, oh, here, have a special seat. You know, here, let me get you a water. We take care of them. And someone comes in not looking so nice. Someone may be in rags or they're, or they're a little dirty or their appearance isn't kept up. Or God forbid they smell a little bit. And what do we do? Sometimes we just ignore them or we say, hey, you better sit in the back or we push them way off to the side. You see, what we do is we end up, when we care too much about public opinion, favoring the favored and mistreating the mistreated. And that's what God says. I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't want you to keep favoring the favored and mistreating the mistreated. In fact, I believe that this whole message can be summed up that we need to treat everyone with kindness and respect. But especially those people who we consider down and out, who we consider the last, the least, and the lost. It's especially to those people that God wants to check our hearts, that God wants to see how we can respond to people, right? As many of you know, some of you don't, I spent most of my early years in ministry in youth ministry, being a youth pastor, working with youth groups. And we did this thing way back in the day, way back in the day. We did this thing where we would go to the mall. So I'm giving you guys an idea for Minister Jasmine here, okay? We would go to the mall around Christmas time, and it would be like I would disguise myself, and people would have to try to find me. And they would get like prizes and stuff that they could find me. So we went to this mall, right? And I decided I would disguise myself. So what I did was I darkened my hair, and I messed it up a little bit, and, and I like put on a little bit of my wife's makeup, to me just enough so my face looked dirty, and I, and I got some old clothes, I went to the thrift store, I got some old clothes, and I kind of scuffed them up or whatever, and then I got these glasses that had no lenses in them. So I really looked like I was out of there. I mean, I looked like I didn't know what was going on. And I went to the mall looking like this, and I want to tell you the most interesting thing happened, I was not expecting it. One, not only did the youth group never find me, Never, never, never found me. Because some of them said they saw me and they went the other way. They went to the elevator and went down to the other level and said, watch out for that creepy guy up on level two because I don't know what's going on with them. But I found myself walking, looking strange, looking different, and people consciously and subconsciously were partying the way. You ever been in a crowded place and you bump up against people? Not one person bumped into me. Because immediately... They avoided us. No one talked to me. No one came to me. And I walked around the mall the whole day like that. And what started out as something kind of funny soon became very sad in my heart. As I thought about who are the people that I overlook? Who are the people that I ignore? Not one person reached out to me. Not one youth group person found me because they thought they, they weren't looking. They weren't seeing. We don't see people. We don't see people. We push them aside. We push them to the edges. So I got done with that event, we had a good laugh, and I'm still dressed up when I'm driving home. And I remember that my wife, Jenny, she's working at this Christian bookstore. And I'm like, oh, she's at work. I'm like, let me not go home and change. Let me go into this Christian bookstore. And let me see if I get a different response in the Christian bookstore to how I look. And I walked into the Christian bookstore, and do you know what happened? Nobody talked to me. 
nobody came up to me. And it was Christmas time, and they had this piano in the back. And I had actually gone there and played Christmas music as kind of a thing. So I had spent time there. So I went to the piano. No one was there. And I sat down, and I started just hitting random notes, just like, you know, just being, just being weird. I was just being weird and different and just odd. And people were like, the, the, the employees, they were like, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. I found this out later. They're running in the back. They're like, there's a weird guy here. Man, he doesn't even have lenses in his glasses. What do we do? What do we do? And I heard they convened the whole meeting. And my wife's in the office. So my wife wasn't there, so she didn't even get chested. She's in the office hearing about the employees, talking about this person. And what are they going to do with this weird person that walked in? And then I'll never forget there was one lady. Her name was Annabelle. And Annabelle said, I know what to do. And Annabelle came out to me and she said, sir, how are you doing? I said, I'm all right. And she said, would you like some cookies? And she showed kindness to me. And I was ashamed. Because at that moment, Annabelle was way more of a Christian than I was. She was way more of a pastor than I was. And I smiled and I took the cookie. And I turned around and started playing the piano for real. <laughs> and then the employees started coming around. And I turned and I said, Annabelle, it's me. And I let them know that I was just there kind of goofing around with them. But it showed me, I experienced that, that, that I overlook people, I ignore people. And Jesus calls us to those places. He calls us to reach out and to treat with favor those who've been mistreated. So when we favor the favor and we mistreat the mistreated, we're just acting like everybody else. Why does God focus on that? Because that's what makes us different. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 6. He said, if you just love people who love you, what credit is that to you? If you just do good to people who are nice to you, if you treat nice to people that are nice to you, if you favor the people that favor you, what good is that? Sinners can do that. The world can do that. Every single person alive can favor the favored and mistreat. The mistreated. But God says, I want you to be different. I want you to be different. For if you were to love your enemy, if you were to be kind to those who were mean to you, he says, wow, your true colors would shine through. It would be amazing. You would have treasures in heaven. The world would see something different. The light would shine through you so much that people would praise our Father in heaven and give him glory. You could be so different that you could actually be a light in this dark world. We talk about this when we talk about people that are marginalized. And maybe you've heard that term, the marginalized. What does that mean, the marginalized? Well, you know what a margin is, right? You have a piece of paper or writing, and there's margins on the sides and on the bottoms, right? It's the space towards the edges of the paper. And so what the marginalized is, is the people that have been pushed to the edges of our society. The people that have been pushed so far out and so far back that we don't even have to deal with them, we don't have to see them, we don't have to think about them anymore. And when you live on the margins of life, your life is very vulnerable. You don't have the security, you don't have some of the basic necessities that other people have. And that's why we say that we're supposed to reach out in God's love to those that are marginalized. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 25 in the parable of the sheep and the goats. He said the way that you treat these marginalized people is how God is going to evaluate you. Amen. God will actually judge you 
on the way that you treat the marginalized. And then he goes on to describe who are the marginalized people. Who are the people that have been pushed out and pushed aside and are very vulnerable? He said it's the poor. It's the people who are hungry and need food. So it's the people who are thirsty. They need access to clean drinking water. It's the people that need clothes and the people that need shelter. The people who are homeless and living on the streets. It's the people who are sick and have diseases that they have to wrestle with. Maybe they have physical limitations. Maybe they're not fully able in every aspect of their life. And so they struggle on the margins of the society. He said it's those who are in prison. And I would add those who've been released from prison. It's the incarcerated. And those when they get out that have a hard time finding jobs and finding a place to live. And it's the stranger, meaning the foreigner or the immigrants among you. Jesus Christ himself said that if God is going to judge us on anything, he's going to judge us on how we treat the marginalized. Are we going to continue to mistreat the mistreated or will we begin to flip it and begin to show favor to the immigrants, to the incarcerated, to the homeless, to the hungry, to the poor, to the thirsty, to the sick and disabled, to anyone who for any reason has been overlooked, ignored, forgotten, pushed to the margins, the last the least, and the lost. And James goes on to say that we do this because of two reasons. The first one is, it's what God does. I love how the message puts it, James. He says, dear friends, isn't it clear that God operates quite differently? <laughs> isn't it clear that God does things differently? God does things in a different way from the world. He comes to the least, the last, and the lost. The Lord comes to the poor first. Jesus came to the poor first, right? The message was for everyone. Love is for everyone. We're to treat everyone with kindness and respect, but it begins among the poor. Some of us were at a leadership conference in New York City this past week, and one of the speakers said, why did Jesus come to the poor first? Because you don't need an appointment to meet with the poor. (laughs) You don't need to go through anybody to get to the last and the least, right? So if it's going to be for everyone, it's got to begin there, because it would make sense The good news is for the favored. Because the favored and the privileged and those who have enjoyed power and privilege and wealth in their lives, of course their good news is going to be for them. But if it's going to be for everyone, it also has to be for the underprivileged and for the marginalized. Because if it's not good news there, it's not good news anywhere. If it's not good news there, it's not good news anywhere. Jesus said treat everyone with kindness and respect. Because it's what God does. He said God causes the rain even to fall on the unjust. God is merciful and kind even to the wicked and the unjust. He said, you said, you're going to really shine with your true colors when you become like God and do what God does. That's what Christian means. Did you know that? Christian means like Christ. These people were trying so hard to be like Jesus, to imitate his way of life. Then they started calling them Christians. Oh, you're little Christians. You're all these little Christs running around. And James says, isn't it those people that are actually abusing you, the people that you care so much about their opinion, they're throwing you into jail. They're making fun of you. You know, they're oppressing you. And you're going to care about what they think? 
They're not even respecting Jesus Christ when we follow. We need to do what God does. And God goes to the poor first. He goes to the marginalized. He takes his message to the very edges, to the very back of the room, to the very back of the bus, to the very lowest place on the earth. And we need to go where God is. We need to do what God does. That's the first reason. The second reason is that we do it because it's what God commands. So it's interesting. In Scripture, you'll find that what God does, he also commands his followers to do. So it is a command of God. Uh, James calls it the royal rule of Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That is the rule of God. You'll remember, of course, that Jesus said, let me sum up everything into two rules for you to follow. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, right? And in the law, of course, we know they had hundreds of laws that were contextualized for that time and place. So that's why we don't follow all 600 laws of the Old Testament, because they were contextualized to that time and that place. But they summed them up in the Ten Commandments, right? And the Ten Commandments kind of gave a summary of how you should live your life. And Jesus said, let me break it down even more. Let me take it from ten down to two, right? For if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbors yourself, you will fulfill the commandments, right? That means that if I love you, I'm not going to murder you. <laughs> That's not love, Right? I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm not going to lie about you. I'm not going to sleep with your husband or wife. If I love you. If I love you, I'm going to treat you with kindness and respect. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then James takes it to this place. You got to hear this. I got to hear this this morning. He says, if you show favoritism, you sin. It's a sin. It's a sin to treat people differently based on how they look. It's a sin. It says it right there in black and white. He said, and some of you want to be like, well, well, I, I don't commit these other sins. James is like, yes, yeah, so? <laughs> you know, what are you going to say? You're going to pick and choose which, which things you follow? Come on, you know people who said this. You know we've said it, right? Well, at least I'm not killing anyone, right? At least I'm not doing this, right? At least I'm not as bad as this. He's like, uh-uh. If you sin, you sin. And if you show favoritism, if you treat the person who's dressed nice differently than you treat the person who's not dressed nice, then you're sinning. And you got to stop it. Because it's not what God does. It's not what he commands. It's not what he wants for you. It's going to lead you to death. Because all those people that you think you're playing up to, they ain't going to be there for you. Just think about that for a moment this morning. I felt the spirit on that one. Think about people that you are trying to impress kowtow to and play up to. They aren't going to be the people that are there for you. They're not. But when we focus on God, what God says, He says, look, I've loved you. He said, why did I have treated you this way? I've given you kindness. I've given you mercy. I've given you forgiveness. I've given you second chances upon second chances upon second chances. I've given you life. Because that's who I am. I'm a merciful God. I'm full of mercy. My mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. My love is never ending. My love goes on forever, right? He's like, I've got all of this love and all of this mercy to give you. And I will forgive you of all of your sins. And I will cleanse you from everything that defiles you. And I will make you into something beautiful. And we need to say, thank you, God, for what you did in my life. Let me not turn around judge someone else 
and treat someone else differently because of the way they look. That's why I said, like I said last week, that's why racism is a sin. Because it treats people differently just based on the way that they look. And we all have it. Like the people who saw me when I was looking strange walking through the mall, we all do it without even thinking. We see somebody that looks different and we have thoughts, right? And we judge. Everybody does, right? Everybody does. This is not just one particular, this is not just a white person or the other person. Everybody does it. Like one speaker I heard says, everybody's got somebody they look down on. <laughs> no matter what country you live in, I talk to people and they'll tell me who the worst people are, right? Because there's always somebody else that you can look down upon, right? We all do it. But it's sin in our hearts. We're not to judge people based on that. We're to treat everyone with kindness and with respect. Because it's what God does and it's what God commands. In fact, I think it could be summed up like this. The whole message of this passage of James could be summed up in this phrase. Love all, serve all, welcome all. Say it with me. Love all, serve all, welcome all. It's because it's what God does. It's what Jesus does. It's what he commands us to do, right? And people will say, well, well what, about, what about, you know, we, we, we got to know when we're doing wrong, right? Well, that's God's judgment. And I believe God is judging us this morning, right? So you're like, well, what about the judgment? Well, let God judge you. Have you thought about people differently or treated people differently or ignored them completely, which is also sin? And not done anything to help them. Have any of us done that? Then we have sinned. And we need to get our hearts right before God. Because God wants to visibly transform us. In our hearts, in our minds, in the way we think. Because that's where it begins. That's where it begins. A lot of people say, well, I'm not prejudiced because, you know, I'm not out, you know, mistreating people. And I'm not racist because I don't have my hands around somebody's throat. But what's in your mind and what's in your heart? Didn't Jesus say that even if you look at a woman lustfully, yes. you've got sin in your heart? Even if you think murderous thoughts towards someone, God have mercy on me. I'm wrong. I need to be changed. I need to be cleansed. I need to be forgiven by the love of Jesus Christ. Because he sums it up so perfectly at the end. He says, praise God, because kind mercy triumphs over harsh judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's right there in the Bible. Love wins. That's why I say it. Not because it's popular or people say I say love wins because the Bible says love wins. Mercy wins over judgment every single time. Every single time God's love is going to win. Every single time you operate in God's love, you're going to win. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the moment. You've got to trust the long game. You've got to trust the process of God and what he's doing. That we don't understand everything he's doing. And that his ways are not our ways. And that it's going to take longer than we think it will. But I'm trusting that God says, love wins. Amen. That my love will win. And when you love others, eventually it'll win. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people think. And here's the thing, friends. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. Because you do the process. You do the best you can. You leave the results to God. That person you love may not change. They may not ever come and say thank you. Oh, thank you so much. They may not ever give you flowers or throw a parade in your honor. (laughs) 
You might never be asked to write a book about how kind and loving you've been. You've been never asked to speak on a conference about how much love you've shown other people. You've never been asked to create a program for the state of Connecticut on how to help people restore their lives. You may never get any affirmation, accolations, any awards, any press. You may not get one single like on your social But your faithfulness, <laughs> hallelujah, your faithfulness is what God sees. God sees. Jesus said, God sees what's done in secret. You should know that. Are some of you hearing that? I'm actually speaking to you this morning. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Some of you need to hear this specific thing. You've been doing something, and nobody's giving you any credit for it. Nobody's patting you on the back. But you're loving. And God wants you to know he sees you. You know that phrase, you're like, I see you. I don't care who else sees me. I want to know that Jesus sees you. And some of you came here this morning. You came here this morning so that God can say, I see you. I see you. I recognize And you go ahead and keep doing that. You go ahead and you don't have to shout about it. No one has to like your post about it. You don't have to put up a picture about it. God sees. God sees what you're doing. And he's blessing that. He's blessing that. You see, the power of God is so often present in those places at the margins. Because God goes there first, and then it spreads out to everyone. Yes, yes, everyone. Yes, yes, everyone. Rich people need Jesus too. Come on. Give it in, right? Rich people need Jesus too. Privileged people need Jesus. All people need Jesus, right? People in every language, every tribe, every culture, every nation, everybody needs Jesus, right? People on Park Street need Jesus. And people in Glastonbury need Jesus. Come on, everybody needs Jesus. But it begins, it begins in the poorest places. It's going to begin here in Hartford, friends. It's going to begin in the worst places because God, I believe God is raising up out of the broken places the leaders for his church, the leaders for the revival, the people that are going to change this world because that's what God loves to do. God loves to take the least, the last, and the lost. Right? He said, I'll take the last and make it first. I'll take the children and I'll make them the leaders, right? I'll take the ones who've been overlooked and ignored, and I'm going to use them to do this, right? I'm going to use the ones that you overlooked and said they're never going to amount to anything. And God says, watch what I can do with that person. Because what you think you can't do, I can do. I can do. God's invitation. And then through them, God's going to lead and minister to all of us as well. Because we get blessed. You know, I was thinking that a lot of times... We don't know what we don't know, right? A lot of times we're not made aware of this. A lot of times we live in situations where we don't see. And maybe, maybe the people around us, or, or maybe we just have those blinders on, right? And we just don't see people. You know, even in, even in church, do we, do we really see each other? Do we really see and treat each other with favor, with kindness, with respect? Do we go up to someone that's different from us? Right? We, we speak words of love, words of encouragement. We, we, we don't know what we don't know. We need to pray that God will open up our mind and our awareness. And once we know, then we need to go. Once we know, we need to go. Because God is sending us to those places. Because I'm telling you that I've seen and experienced the power of God so often in the places that people have overlooked and the places that people have forgotten. Going to the marginalized 
is a place where we can reconnect with the power and presence of God. Where we can see what God is already doing in a powerful way. And then those people even become ministers and bless us. The best example I can give you of this, and I want to share with you, um, as I get ready tomorrow, I'm going to be traveling to Honduras. I don't want no likes for that. I don't want no likes for that. I want to share with you the reason why I'm doing that. Because I believe that God has called me to go. I mean, people say, why Honduras? Well, first of all, nobody thinks about people in Central America that much, right? Some people do. When you have a connection, when you have things, you think about it. But you think about some of the poorest countries in the world, right? We think about people that have been overlooked and forgotten. And why do I go? I didn't know anything about El Salvador, Honduras, Central America until someone revealed it to me. A friend of mine, a mentor of mine, Armana Carmen from California, she called me up and she said, Phil, I want to tell you about this ministry in El Salvador. I'm like, okay. And then she told me about the ministry. And the ministry is called Remar. And it stands for the rehabilitation of, get this, the marginalized. Same in Spanish. I won't say it right, but rehabilitation de marginados. Something like that, close, right? So it's Remar. And they said, it was, it was began by a couple in Spain in the 1980s. And they said, God, you've called us to reach the marginalized. And so we want to start, we want to help the church reach the marginalized. So they said, who are the most vulnerable? Who are the people that are overlooked and forgotten? They said, well, it's the children. The children who have no parents. The children whose parents are addicts and alcoholics and prostitutes. And they can't take care of their children. So their children are removed by the government. It's the children that have been abused in ways that we can't even imagine. It's those children who have no homes, so we're going to start children's homes. And it's men and women who are struggling to be in recovery from addiction. And we're going to set up homes where people who want to be in recovery and who want to be clean can live together and experience the power of God. So we'll set up homes for men and homes for women, along with homes for children. And then it's the elderly. It's the elderly in a lot of other countries. You find elderly people on the streets who through addiction or mental illness don't even remember their name and don't know where they live. Yeah. And they have no place to go. And they have nothing but the clothes if they have clothes on their back. And they said, we're going to help these people. That's what God has called us to do. So in the 1980s, they said, we will create homes for children. We will create homes for recovery from addiction for men and women. And we will create homes for elderly people that have nowhere else to go. And no one's heard of this organization in America because they don't get any accolades. They don't get any press. They didn't come to America seeking any kind of approval or even any kind of financial funding. But I'm here to tell you what I've discovered. This organization is in 70 countries around the world with more ministries than you could possibly imagine. And so I went to El Salvador because... Hermana Carmen asked me to go. When Hermana Carmen says go, you go. That's the kind of lady she is. So I went and I saw the ministry. And God called us there. And eight or nine years ago, I was working with uh, Antonio and his wife, Elena, in San Miguel, working with the children in the home there and some of the men in the recovery home there. And then we were going to go again this January. And Antonio got the call from God to go somewhere else. See, he got the call. I mean, he's working in one of the furthest edges, margins of the world you can imagine. And God said, hey, I need you to go to Honduras because there's some people in need there and there's no one to, to run this home. We need you to go. So Remar gave him a promotion. So now he's the director of Honduras, but dealing with a lot more difficult things. 
So I prayed, and God laid it upon my heart, and I'm going there just to see the ministry there, to hopefully plan and prepare the way so that I can bring you with me next time, so that we can go and we can minister there. Not so that we can come in and necessarily do anything for them, but because God is already at work. He invites us to come and join Him. And in the process, guess who gets blessed? Me. You know why I'm looking so forward to going? Not because I think I'm going to do anything there, you know, that's going to suddenly get me more followers on Instagram. But I'm going there because I know that those people who are so in touch with the power of God are going to minister to me and speak to me and bless me. And together we're going to say, God, what can we do together to minister to you? Right? And of course we minister everywhere, wherever God has called you. Why Honduras? God called me there. God said go, so I'm going. God wants us to go where he's sending us to go so that we can live out what he wants us to live out. See, I can't just talk about it anymore. I can't just talk about it. I have to go and do it. I grew up in church, grew up as a kid, right? Memorize it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Memorize the words in my head, but I have to live it out. Jesus told us who our neighbor is, right? Do you remember the story? The man said, okay, Jesus, love your neighbor, but who's my neighbor? Jesus told him this whole story of who his neighbor was. And it's the person who's in need. It's the person who's hurting. It's the person who's been overlooked by everyone else. It's the people that other people have seen and they move to the side. Like when I was walking down the mall so many years ago disguised and people just moved to the side and didn't even want to deal with me. Oh my God, how many people have I done that to? How many people have I avoided? Have I moved around? God has been merciful to us. And that's where it begins, friends. And that's where I want to begin in our prayer time this morning. I want us to pray now in this moment. I want us to, to receive God's mercy and forgiveness in our own lives. Has God spoken to your heart today? Is there anything in you that God would want to, in love, change and transform in the way you feel, the way you think, the way you speak, or the way you act? Holy Spirit, would you come and move in our hearts in this moment? Holy Spirit, would you begin letting your power flow through us this morning?